Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where our budgeting session is like a magic show. Now you see your expenses? Now you don't. Ever could have a bottom line profit. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you grow from traction to scale. Growth here is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. A couple of days ago, I talked about RevOps and how we're adapting as a company to stay ahead of the industry. The biggest shift for me was RevOps as a mindset, not just as a department or function. You know, staying focused on the customer journey as the centerpiece. And it's really easy to say, and it's much harder to do consistently. I don't know about you, but we focus and we drift. And then we focus and we drift. And we focus and we drift. And we're always trying to get back to that and keep the, the customer journey right there at the center of what we're doing. But it's so easy to get off track. Now, does that happen to you too? I shared some thinking and pivots last week. And, you know, speaking of pivots, I think, you know, done well, RevOps is a pivotal force in scaling businesses, especially in the B2B SaaS realm. Gone are the days when sales, marketing, customer service operated as distinct entities. RevOps emerges as a unifying force, bringing the functions into a cohesive powerhouse, driving business growth. I mean, so much more having them together and, and what the, the value together, synergy, the value together is more than the sum of the parts. You know, it is the engine under the hood of our business, you know, fine tuning processes, aligning goals, and ensuring that every part of the customer journey is seamless, efficient, and geared towards growth. RevOps is like the fuel injectors in that growth engine for scaling SaaS companies. And here's how I see it impacting growth. One, bringing those together streamlines operations for efficiency. You know, capital efficient growth, it's become the latest catchphrase, you know, replacing growth at all cost or grow or die. We talked to, to Chris a couple of days ago about that and uh, the unicorn fallacy. But RevOps brings together the disparate strands, sales, marketing, and customer service into a well-oiled machine, just like that, I was saying, that engine. And by creating unified systems and processes, it eliminates redundancies, which I thought we wouldn't have any, but we certainly did. Streamlines operations, which just makes life better for all of us. But the real benefit is it leads to the consolidation leads to increased efficiency, faster response times, and a more agile approach to market changes because everybody's on the same page. Everybody's seeing things uh, the same way. It's not you know, a surprise to one group or another. And for a SaaS company, that means quicker adaptation to customer needs and more efficient use of resources. And those are absolutely critical value points today. The second is using data-driven insights for strategic decisions, not just having a lot of data or, you know, you know, we've got all this data, isn't this really cool, but actually using it to drive decisions that create the future. Because at the heart of RevOps is data. By harnessing comprehensive analytics across the customer lifecycle, RevOps provides actual insights that guide those strategic decisions. Includes everything from identifying the most effective sales channels to understanding customer usage patterns. 
you know, again, great conversation with Chris Cabrera, CEO of Exactly About This, on the show last week. For SaaS leaders, this means being able to anticipate market trends, optimize product offerings, and tailor customer experiences for maximum engagement and retention. One size fits one. One size doesn't fit everybody. And third, we create enhanced customer experiences, and that leads to higher retention. RevOps places the customer experience at the forefront. And again, yes, this is difficult to do consistently, but the payoff is there if we stick with it and commit to doing that and keeping that forefront. By aligning the goals and strategies of sales, marketing, and customer service, RevOps ensures a cohesive customer journey. And that's what we want, that seamless experience. And like I said a couple of days ago, you know, it's the experience where we never hand them off to a stranger. I think that's really important to make that seamless all the way through. And it's, it's, you know, memorable, it's referable, something they're like, wow, this was a great onboarding experience. This is a great sales experience. This, this whole thing was fantastic. I've never been through something like that before. That's the kind of thing we want. And it not only enhances their satisfaction, which of course we want that, but it builds loyalty. And in SaaS world, Recurring revenue is king and customer retention and net dollar retention are crucial for growth. So back to the big shift on my perspective, it was that RevOps is not just a function. It's a strategic mindset that positions SaaS companies for scalable and sustainable growth. By integrating operations, leveraging data, and focusing on customer experiences, putting the customer right there in the center Great customer experiences sets your company apart and makes your business shareable, memorable, and referable. What do you think? Is your business today more shareable, memorable, and referable than you know maybe stuff on the Netflix top 10 list? What would it look like if it was? And what are you doing to get there? Let me know in the comments. If you want to create memorable customer experiences, check out my book, Small Fish Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business That Swims Circles Around Competitors. Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step -step frameworks, time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or Amazon. All book profits Go to charity always. Our founder on Tuesday was the trailblazing founder and CEO of exactly Chris Cabrera. Chris led his company to the forefront of the RevOps industry, outmaneuvering giants along the way. We talked about his journey and most importantly, his new book, The Unicorn Fallacy. It is a great read. If you missed that episode, go back and listen and grab a copy of that book, The Unicorn Fallacy. Our expert guest last week was Janet Geeson principal at JetPath Consulting. She helps B2B tech companies launch new SaaS products and initiatives. And that is startups ready for a rocket ride or big companies launching new products or product extensions. We got a peek behind the scenes of a $50 million product launch and some key lessons to launch our own SaaS products as well. If you missed either episode, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Reagan Bashara, founder of All Ease Accounting. Reagan is on a mission to empower entrepreneurs with ethical wealth building. Sounds pretty good. 
She is a QuickBooks Online Advanced Pro Advisor. A lot of you use QuickBooks. And she is all about organizing finances to help business builders take financial control and realize their grandest ambitions. Welcome, Reagan Ashara. Hey, Reagan. Welcome to SAS Fuel. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, you have an amazing background in finance, and that's one of the things that you help a lot of your clients with. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background and how finance plays a role in building a great business. Yeah. So I am a bookkeeper. Coming up in 2024 will be like my 10-year anniversary of being a bookkeeper. So nice. I'm really excited to celebrate not only 10 years in this industry, but it'll also be my second anniversary of my business. I started my bookkeeping firm in 2022 after I quit my day job and decided to become an entrepreneur. And I have to say that finance, accounting, bookkeeping, all the numbers are the most important part of running a business. Like that's the data. That's what gets reported on your taxes. Like all of it matters so much whenever you want to start, grow, or even sell or close a business. That makes a lot of sense. So is there a difference in you know, the, the numbers and the way that we look at them from a financial or tax perspective and from a management perspective? I don't think so. Um, I think the only difference in numbers would be like your entity type. So we have people that are sole proprietors, kind of like me. I'm a single member LLC. So I file differently from corporations or even partnerships. And when it comes to managing a business like the numbers are pretty much going to get reported the same way across industry, pretty much going to get refiling status. Um, when I'm doing the bookkeeping for somebody or when I'm even consulting with them about what's going on in their business finances, like I'm also taking into consideration what happens whenever they file their taxes. Are they looking to buy a new piece of equipment or a vehicle this year? Are they doing the bookkeeping? Because my role is to not only like crunch numbers, it's to support my clients in whatever goals they have for their business and where they want to take it. Yeah, that makes sense. So one question that I get a lot is the difference between cash and accrual accounting and you know what which should somebody use? And, and I have my take. What, what about you? I mean, you're the <laughs> pro here. Uh, what do you advise clients to do? Yeah. So there's actually language in the tax code from the IRS about like how people should be reporting on their finances. Um, for most like small businesses in the United States, it's fine to do a cash accounting basis, which means like when you swipe your card, <laughs> that's when you incur the expense. Whenever you get paid for something, that's when you incur the income or the revenue from you know your clients or customers. And then the accrual method of accounting says that if I invoice somebody this year, but they don't pay it until next year, I actually need to claim that revenue this year because that's whenever I created the invoice. It's incurred at the time of creation. Same thing would go for like the expense side. So if I have a bill that I enter into my accounting and it's dated for this year, but I don't end up actually paying it until next year, I would get to claim that expense right now. This is something that comes up a lot for um, a couple of my larger clients who are like S corporations or corporate entities. And they want to know like if I buy something in December, can I actually claim it in my 2024, 
you know, revenue or expenses. And I'm like, yeah, the way that you're reporting right now is cash. So no, (laughs) we would have to like change your entire accounting system. But as far as the IRS goes and the tax code says that if you're making up to, I think 25 million in revenue is like the upper limit. As long as you're under that number, you don't need to keep like an inventory. You don't need to do accrual accounting. Um, You can just do it on the cash basis and kind of claim things the year that they happen in your transactions. That's true. And uh, and doing it that way. I always look at it as I expect to grow and Mm -hmm. want to grow a business. And so my default is always accrual, even from the beginning. There are definitely some advantages to cash. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's some advantages to accrual as well. But just in, in my mm-hmm. thinking is I'm going to get to that point and I want to make sure that things are are the same for reporting purposes going back. So I don't have to change at some point. And so I just think long term and, and just like totally. to set it up that way in the beginning. I mean, do you think that's good or do you think it's OK to, to change down the road or is it a difficult change? I'm not sure whether it's a difficult change or not. I think it would have to be kind of like on the break point of your like fiscal year. So like one year you would do it cash. And then if you needed to change, I imagine it would be like, we have to wait till the next fiscal year to do that. Um, and there might be like some inventory adjustments that would need to happen in between to balance everything out. But I agree with you, like always be looking forward in your business at where you want to be and how you need to be moving and acting to get to that place. Or when you get to that place, how do you need to be behaving and managing your business? So I completely agree that like it is always a good idea to look ahead and say, if this is something that I'm actually wanting to get to that place where I would have to be doing that, it makes sense to do it now. So it's fine to choose to do the accrual method at the beginning of your business stages, um, but it's not recommended until you kind of reach that revenue point. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And so what mistakes have you seen your clients make uh, as they you know grow their business? Maybe things that they didn't think about early on, or you know they get to a, a size and they, they have to, to change the way they're doing something, or you look at it and you go, where did you come up with that idea with from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think just like not doing their accounting at all. I do have clients that come to me that have been in business for you know several years that haven't filed a return and they haven't done any bookkeeping. And so they hire me to pretty much start from scratch, start from zero and help them build a set of books. And then by that way, they get to you know file their returns late, but at least it's done. I think that would be the biggest mistake that I see is folks not having a system of financial record keeping that works for them, that they habitually do. It's a routine that they come back to. Not having that set up in the beginning um, is really not the best idea. I love to work with people that are like, thinking about starting a business, like before they actually pull the trigger, push the button on it. I want to be there with them from the womb to the tomb, so to speak of their business, like before it's born, you know, while it's chugging along. And then if they decide to sell or even close their business, I would love to see them through that process as well. So I think the biggest mistake is just not having a system at all, or deciding to tap into a system that 
like you're just not going to show up and participate in it. Like it has to be something that you're going to habitually come in and do on a routine basis that works with your lifestyle and your management style, like finding, I love to help my clients find the ways that like they are going to do the work that I need them to do, like saving their receipts, um, (laughs) properly going in and invoicing and receiving payments and all that. Um, so I, I always tell people like, find a way to hack your brain. What are you going to come back and do over and over again? How can we help you set up this habit? Because you need to be doing it from day zero, really. At what point should a company be thinking about having a bookkeeper, whether it's part-time, full-time, or, you know, move on to you know, having a financial team, maybe splitting up, you know, ARAP, payroll, um, you know, strategy, those types of things. How do you see that progression? Yeah. So for the sole solopreneurs, solo, sole proprietors, um, the folks that are just kind of a one-man show, um, I think that people are capable of learning the skill to do their own bookkeeping. And so I like to help educate them and get them to do it themselves. Like I said, with a routine that works for them in their life. And then um, when it gets to the point where, you know, you are having to manage a workforce of people that are like doing work for you, employees that are not doing like bookkeeping or admin work, but actual like client work um, or, or providing a service to the business when you're having to manage a bunch of other people, <laughs> that takes up a lot of time. It takes up a lot of mental sure. energy. There sure. are small bookkeeping tasks that you can outsource either to a third-party contractor like myself. Um, and then, of course, having a dedicated employee for admin work and giving them some bookkeeping tasks is a great way to buy back your time. What I caution folks with is like knowing ahead of time best practices, like How much Mm. access are you going to give that person? Please do not give away the keys to the kingdom. You know, we want your information to be secure. And unfortunately, a lot of business owners find that they have money stolen from them. And it's like a bookkeeping employee that just had access to too much. They just had too much power. And um, you don't want to put your employees in that kind of a position. And you don't want to put your business or yourself at that position where you're, you know, liable and things can happen. So um, as you grow, as your revenue grows, um, your cash flow can support having a, an employee that does that. You know, I think you'll find that like the revenue, especially growing, is just going to necessitate that like there's more information happening all the time that needs to be like organized, and it just takes more manpower at that point. Is there a good way as, as leaders to or owners to protect ourselves against, you know, something like that? Or how do we control you know, how much permission to give versus oversight? It's not something we just throw over the fence. Yeah, totally. Um, having really good SOPs, standard operating procedures, having, um, you know, a solid like training system, having systems in place for your financial record keeping ahead of time so that when an employee gets hired to take on some of those tasks and responsibilities, they already have a system to work in. They have instructions, they have best practices that are based on financial security, you know, data security. Um, It depends really on the nature of the business work. You know, if you're dealing with like sensitive, like for instance, healthcare offices, like, they have to keep much more tight records of their patient data. And so 
having systems in place and bringing somebody on and saying like, this is why you're only being given access to this much of the information. It's actually to protect you as much as it is to protect the business and then our clients or patients or whoever we're serving. Um, And I think the right employees really respond to that level or that boundary of saying like, we're actually looking out for you too. We're not even going to allow you to have access to transact or to reconcile our statements. Um, Just best practice all around is, uh, you know, creating those boundaries for the employee to work and do what they need to do to serve the business um, and to protect everybody's information. But what's a good way to create those SOPs? I mean, most of the the founders that work with are, are not, finance is not their background. A lot of times yeah. sales, marketing, development, uh, you right. know, finance is one of those things that they're like, well, I don't know. It just, it happens. Magic happens and then we make money. Right. And, but you know, <laughs> they, they don't know how to create SOPs for that. So how can mm-hmm. we create SOPs and, and boundaries like that in a good way? Yeah. Um, the record keeping system, you know, starting there, I think is a great place to look at like how are we keeping our data stored digitally physically who's going to have access to that is it literally a key in a file cabinet or is it a password protected database and giving employees the kind of step-by-step procedures that they should be following and giving you know access for them to understand and kind of like without seeing everything understanding their role in the process um so how does information paperwork data enter the business, you know, are clients submitting information to you? Where are they submitting that information? Where does it get stored? What needs to be secured and protected? And, you know, to what level? And then um, that's what I always tell folks, like information's coming into your business, whether that's like sensitive client patient information, or if it's like transaction information, that's like your bank statements, receipts, invoices, bills. Um, It's somebody's job to take that data coming in and put it where it needs to go. So that process, like, what does that look like? Who gets to touch each part of that process? Um, And then it's just literally sitting down and writing through the procedures, step-by-step instructions, getting as detailed as you possibly can, making it accessible to everybody that's working for you, especially the folks that are touching those processes and tasks. Um, Just write it down, (laughs) you know, have that procedure manual um, available for everybody to kind of understand the flow of that information. So when it comes to finances, you know, do employees need to like see a bank balance or does it not matter for them to see a bank balance if they're just entering in bills that need to be paid that you then approve. They don't need to see a bank balance to know like there's money in the account to pay this bill. Like that should be your job as the as the employer, as the business owner or manager. Do they need to see, you know, payroll transactions for everybody or do they just need to have access to their pay stubs? So like looking at every single piece of financial data kind of like categorized Um, and seeing who needs to be able to see this, how much of it should they see, can they do anything with the data? Like, do they need to input it and then uh, decide where it goes and protect the data? You know, just understanding how the information flows, especially when it comes to finances and like assigning roles and writing down step-by-step processes for that. What about revenue recognition? That's something that is uh, kind of a hot topic in SaaS. Yeah. Now, you know, what's your take on, on revenue recognition and where where do companies get in trouble in and how they're accounting for revenue, particularly script subscription revenue over time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
A great example is like my services for bookkeeping. I allow my clients to either pay me on a monthly basis for the monthly work that I do. And then I also have a payment option where they can pay six months in advance. Um, And if they get that, they get like a little extra benefit. They get some consulting time with me. So I have a few clients that do want to pay on that system and that's great. But like I have somebody paying, you know, this month for their next six months, two of those months that they've prepaid for are in 2024. Technically, I'm recognizing that revenue in 2024 because that's when I'm actually doing the work that they're paying me for. Uh, But I'm going to claim it this year on my taxes because I am on a cash accounting basis. I recognized that revenue or I received that revenue, you know, right now in 2023. But there's a way that you could set it up to basically amortize that out on a schedule and say, I'm only going to count this revenue every month when I would have like billed for it. There are accounting softwares like QuickBooks Online that allow you to do revenue recognition reports, and they kind of automate a lot of that reporting for you. Um, If you're on an accrual basis, though, you know, you would recognize that revenue like each month if it were a subscription kind of fee basis. So I think so many businesses now are trying to find a way that they can have like a subscription or a recurring revenue from their clients and provide like long-term value to people, which I think is great. So I have been working a lot with folks that do that. Like you have a program that you launch and you sign a bunch of people up for it, but then like that's once a year. And so we need to look at the rest of the year. If I'm only looking at your March P&L and I see this huge chunk of revenue because that's when you did your launch, the rest of the year is not going to look so pretty. If you need to go get a mortgage <laughs> or you want to buy a vehicle and you need a loan for a car, the bank is going to be like, you only have revenue coming in one month out of the year. There's ways <laughs> there's ways that we cannot like manipulate the data, but we can represent the data in a way that is favorable to you whenever you need to go get financing for something or, you know, show that your business has like revenue coming in on a regular basis. Yeah, that, that's really good. It's an important thing to think about and and how that's going to look. And, you know, especially if you're looking at, at growing or financing or raising around mm-hmm. uh, equity or, or debt financing, either one, or ultimately yeah. to sell a business. Uh, you know, what have you yeah. seen, you know, at acquisition time? things that have either helped or hurt, you know, acquisition, you know, the, the, the valuation of a business. Yeah. I've had a couple of clients do business valuations and I haven't been with anybody when they actually did go through with the sale of a business, but folks come all the time and say like, Oh, I've got somebody interested in buying my practice or my business and, or really just like the client list, I guess, (laughs) or the customer list. Um, and I'm like, well, we have your reports ready to go. Like I do your accounting on a monthly basis. So what do they want to look at? Do they want to look at your business growth over the past five years? Do they want to look at month by month trends? Um, I think like you can give a potential buyer as much data as they want to really inform them about what it's going to be like. You know, maybe there's a practice that you have in your business now that that they would actually want to change and see something different show up in the data because of that. Um, But I try to keep the book so tight (laughs) all year long and really dialed in um, so that if that comes up with one of my clients and they're looking to sell or close or do, you know, bring on a partner or or an investor or something that we have the data at their disposal that they can use to kind of leverage 
a better price maybe for their business. And so is it a smart thing just to print out the, the financials as they are and, and send them over? Or is there a way to, to to better position the business, you know, for financing or for, you know, equity investment, those kinds of things? Or acquisition. Yeah, for financing, I think it depends on the lender, and they'll they'll usually say like what they want to be looking at. And <laughs> I mean, I'm not one to cook a book or anything, but like, <laughs> like I said, especially with things like revenue recognition or subscription based services that people pay in advance. Um, and then there's even prepaid expenses like insurance that you have to finance, sure. um, you know, and pay in advance for that kind of stuff. Sometimes I have to sit there and explain to lenders what some of those numbers mean. Like, even though they're the one this one deciding like to lend my client funds, I have to sit there and kind of like walk them through like, this is why you're seeing this number here. And, you know, that's not a problem. I don't mind doing that. But I think like with financing, it is a little bit different than maybe like acquisition or somebody looking to buy up a book of business. I would want to see, and I would assume that it would be on an individual basis, like what they would want the numbers to reflect. Like, are they looking for a business that is pretty, um, you know, cut and dry all year long, that is kind of turnkey, like the systems are already kind of set up to just have somebody, you know, take the wheel. Or like, what is what is their purpose of like, looking into buying the business? Um, I would love to be kind of in that advisory role on behalf of my client to, um, you know, help them leverage that information better in those kind of talks. Um, but I wouldn't say that there's a lot that I can do to manipulate data to like, sure. get it to look a certain way. Um, I can probably just be in conversation with those folks and try to understand like, what exactly are you looking for? And can we see that represented here? I was thinking more like, uh, you know, ad backs, for example, if you're looking at an acquisition, you know, you have, uh, you know, owner's compensation, you have uh, mm-hmm. some other things, uh, ad backs, yeah. things like that. Uh, as well as you know depreciation, amortization, you know those right. types of things, and how those are reflected in in financials, because those those would make a big difference uh, mm-hmm. potentially in an acquisition. Absolutely agree with that. Yep, and a lot of people, um, you know, don't have good practices of like separating their finances between their personal and business. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we we might have to like pull up that draw report and be like, you know, if you were. <laughs> operating in a way that like you weren't using your business card at the grocery store every week, like maybe this would look a little bit different. Um, and not that that would be showing up on the PL, but it, it affects the cash flow, of course, if owners are drawing funds out of the business. And then as far as like depreciation and amortization go, I really try to match what happens on the tax return and get that reflected in the bookkeeping as well. Just so we have like an accurate view of like what assets and equipment is the business holding all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, what about uh, software? You mentioned QuickBooks earlier. Is that uh, what mm-hmm. you're seeing used most in the industry or do you see others or do you have preferences of uh, you know one versus another or are there advantages? Yeah, right now, all of my clients are using QuickBooks Online. Um, I've had a few folks recently that I have moved to online from the QuickBooks desktop or like Mac. I mean, they use a Mac, but they had to like keep a PC to use QuickBooks desktop. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so they're wanting to move online so that they can access that from anywhere, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. So I've done a couple of those moves recently. I have looked at, you know, HoneyBook and FreshBooks and Zero Accounting in the past. 
I think that QuickBooks Online or just, you know, all of Intuit's products really are like cornering the market on accounting software, automating things, um, setting up integrations between other third-party apps. Like I said, I have all my clients currently on QuickBooks Online. That's the product that I recommend and I am not like paid or sponsored by them in any way to recommend their product. I like it the best. It's what I use for my business. Um, But I see this whole trend with like AI now. (laughs) QuickBooks has been doing that for a long time as far as like receipt recognition and like scanning and like data input Mm -hmm. um, and integration with other software. They do have a lot of like really good integrations with like Shopify and Square and just anywhere else that you want to sell something online, we can probably make it talk to QuickBooks. Some of my clients really like that automation. Some people are very old school and want to do all the data entry themselves. And I say more power to you. I would like for everything to be automated. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think that QuickBooks Online into its products like really are trying to uh, stay ahead of that curve with automation and AI and like those tools that are hopefully going to make everybody's lives easier, save people time. And then, you know, of course, money. <laughs> sure, sure. And yeah, that's helpful. I was ask you a question about uh, the big scary B word, and that is budgeting. Something that, that nobody likes to do, but it's something that <laughs> I don't like to do budgeting. <laughs> no, nobody wants to do that. But it, yeah. but it's an important part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it that we can do that makes budgeting less painful, uh, more productive, more useful for us as leaders? <laughs> I mean, I hate budgeting, and every time I sit down and try to do a budget, I'm like, you know what? I'll just go make more money because this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know, to make more money. <laughs> I just, I would really rather focus on like growing my revenue than like, oh, what do I need to cut back? Or what do I have to pay? Like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I can adjust one of these numbers and have a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> like I, the one side of the equation, I would rather focus on like building up that side and that's the revenue. Ways to make it less painful. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, just staying consistent with it. Um, You know, there are automated tools like in QuickBooks Online, you can set up a budget, you can run your accruals um, or your actuals versus um, budget versus actuals, I think is the report name. You can run those reports, I mean, do it on a quarterly basis. I feel like that is the minimum that could be allowed to like review your budget, see what's kind of going on. Every year we're all adding like software or contractors or employees. Like hopefully it is the case that business is growing and that you're having to kind of expand some of your offerings and services and practices. And that comes with like needing to pay for more and more things. Um, So looking at things on a quarterly basis and like, Every part of the work I do is just facing the music, like looking at the numbers, regardless of how they make you feel. <laughs> so I I guess the same would could be said for the budget. Like you you need to look at it. You can't, you know, stick your head in the in the sand and hide from it for too long before it comes back to bite you. So Yes, yes. Yeah, I found that the only way that I can do it and do it consistently is to gamify it. And so yeah. actually, you know, try and, you know, here's, here's the number and try and beat it. Whether it's a revenue number, we want to exceed it. Mm. Or if it's cost number, try and keep mm. it below that. Uh, you know, reallocate dollars from one bucket to another, you know, mm-hmm. as, uh, as that makes sense. You know, spend more on marketing, that. something else. 
but uh, you know, gamify it and, and you know, make it something you're trying to to win at. And that's that. made it a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if I could even say more fun. I'll say less painful, more bearable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, and I'm I think make more money. Yeah, and I think that gamifying it, and I do that with you know looking around and trying to find money, honestly, like I can always find some money hiding somewhere, but um, gamifying your budget probably would allow you to have a little bit of space between like your identity as a business owner or manager and like what's going on with your numbers. And you can probably look at it in a more objective light and therefore be less like emotionally attached to it. I I love gamifying things. I do play video games and mostly like cozy farming games where, you know, you just sit there and like plant carrots and rack up (laughs) the coins in the game. Um, And to me, that's like super fun. So I'm like of the mindset that "Eh, my budget is pissing me off. I'm just going to go make some more money. I'm going to go like (laughs) make some offers to people, try to get some new clients. Like that sounds like a lot more fun. But if somebody's background is not finance and, and they're coming mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, finance, you know, learning to, to read financial statements or they're looking at it and just going, you know, I hate accounting. And and I hear that on a regular basis. Yeah. So now you don't, you just don't know how, how good it can be. Uh, yeah. you know, what would you tell them? Somebody says, I hate accounting. You know, how would you help them get past that and, mm-hmm. and really learn to, to not just accept it or just, you know, tolerate it, but, you know, really turn it into uh, a passion for them. Yeah, I think that is just like the next level. What most people don't realize that accounting and bookkeeping is not just data entry. Um, we can sit here and crunch numbers all day. We can categorize transactions, but like the true magic of running a business is having all the data that you just crunched to do something with, like make it work for you, make it be useful for your t- decision making, you know, leverage that, go out and get some funding. Like you can, (laughs) if you have accounts receivable out the wazoo and people owe you a bunch of money, you can take that to the bank and leverage it. There are accounts receivable loans that you can get. Like there's always going to be like a positive spin or some way that you can like take that and make something out of it. And so when people tell me that they, you know, hate this part of it, of running a business, I had <laughs> I had a client that was like an illustrator and um, illustrated a lot of children's books and even like animation TV shows and movies. And they told me that they have to go into their childlike headspace to be able to create like kids movies and shows and books. Um, and so the accounting stuff was like the adult work that they just... They can't spend time doing that because they need to stay in their like creative zone. I think that's great, but you do have to pay taxes. So we have to talk about it at some point. Um, (laughs) And I really try to find a way that like they can relate to their numbers, whether that is changing the language on their chart of accounts to really dial in, you know, how they talk about their business day to day is how I want them to see it reflected on their reports. I would love to pull up their reports and they go, oh, like that doesn't make sense. I don't know why that number is there. Like that to me indicates that they are relating to their data. They do actually know what's going on in their business. And then that's something for me to investigate. Okay, well, if they thought that they were going to see this number and then we're seeing what the actual report shows, let me go find out why that is. Are we missing some information? Has something been recorded wrong? So a lot of my job is handholding and like sitting with them on zoom or whatever. (laughs) And, you know, it might become like a counseling kind of therapeutic session, but sitting with them and asking them questions about their own data, 
reflecting the language that I hear them using on their reports so that we can look at it together and it's not so scary because I'm here holding their hand and they can actually tell me like, okay, if this is the way it is right now, I don't like it, but this is where I would like to be. And I can kind of help them bridge that gap. I can, you know, tell them, all right, well, next quarter when we have a meeting, we're going to sit down and we're going to look at this report again. And you're going to tell me now what you're doing in between now and then that you're that's going to help you change these numbers. And we're going to track that together. And I can kind of be a little bit of an accountability buddy. So I think having somebody who is just in your corner and on your side gives my clients a little bit of relief whenever they have to face the music. Numbers can be uncomfortable, but it's just black and white on a page. And I would much rather their numbers be helpful or encouraging or you know useful in some way to them rather than something that they just end up beating themselves over the head about because they mess something up. I guess that's maybe one of the, the good things about QuickBooks is there's really nothing you can do to mess things up as anything that you do can can yeah. be fixed. And yeah. maybe that's, that's a downside too. <laughs> Whatever you do in here, you can't mess it up. I can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. So no fear. They, mm-hmm. they, shouldn't have to, they shouldn't worry about doing things themselves or taking some initiative there. That's yeah, good. and I've got your back the whole way. Like we can totally do this together. Like I'm not uh, financially invested in your business, except that I kind of am. I want you to be successful because you have to pay my fees. So. <laughs> It'd be great for you to get you to your revenue goals, um, grow the kind of business that you want to grow, have a business that is in line with your personal and professional values. And then like, I'm going to be in your corner the whole time, like cheering you on. That's great. So one final piece of advice for, for founders about uh, accounting, finance, uh, ways they should think about it. Little wisdom nugget. What you got? Sure. Um, Something I came up with recently was set a time and then set a timer. Have it on your calendar, an appointment with yourself, an appointment with your accountant, an appointment with your husband or wife. I don't care. Um, Have a time set to at least look at your data. That can be very informative. It can be 10 or 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be like pulling teeth. And then set a timer. Like we don't need to fall down any rabbit holes. Like (laughs) 15 or 20 minutes at a time um, on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, you know, with your tax account once a year, set a time and then set a timer because when we avoid things and we procrastinate, we're truly living in the dark. And that is not where any empowered decision-making is going to come from. It's not living in the dark. So at least look at your numbers and see what's going on. Outstanding. But where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, I have an, a, my website, alleaseaccounting.com. I also have a month or monthly. I have a weekly podcast called Money Through Ease, where we discuss all things small business, entrepreneurship, money, finances, all that good stuff. Um, and then I'm on social media as well at All Ease Accounting. Outstanding. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Thanks again, Reagan, for coming on the show, sharing your tips and insights. You can learn more about Reagan at alleaseaccounting.com. And of course, check her out on social as well. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Full episodes, training videos, shorts, outtakes, and quite a bit more. Subscribe and take a minute to share the podcast like the thought leader that you are this week. Your friends and followers will thank you, and it really does help us out. 
So I appreciate it. Thank you for doing that. Everyone who shares this week gets a revenue river raft. Navigate the rapids of revenue operations while staying afloat amidst the currents of change. And boy, are they changing. It is ideal for those who like their finance with a side of adventure. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is Sahil Patel, CEO at Spiralize. He's a two-time CEO and expert at conversion rate optimization. We talk about how to take big swings to get big wins and skyrocket conversion. It's a predictive CRO for your B2B SaaS. And the next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Andrew Bartlow, founder of Series B Consulting, which helps businesses to articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!